Um, so we're going to uh, just pray real quick, and then um, I'm just going to read. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit um, for you. Actually, I'm going to read for you first. That's what I'm going to do. Um, so this text, I'm just going to sit right here on the edge of the stage because, one, there's no stool. Two, I don't want to fall. Three, um, I want to sit down. So Palm Sunday, this is the original Palm Sunday. 2,000 years ago would have been today if, if Easter is truly on Easter's date. But what Palm Sunday represents was this moment that um, Jesus began to ride into town with the full knowledge that he would soon be crucified on a cross. And Palm Sunday is not about what uh, Jesus was doing, but it is more about um, the people's reactions. That's why it's called Palm Sunday. It's about the people's reaction to Jesus riding into this town. <clears throat> There's a bit of confusion. There's a little bit of misunderstanding, but here's, here's how it kind of went down. This is John 12, 12 through 19. It says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And real quick, the festival was the Passover festival, the Passover feast that in um, Exodus or Genesis, they celebrated uh, where Jesus or where the Lord really, um, Israel was in slavery. And God told them, uh, kill a lamb, put the blood over your doorpost um, and your family will be spared. Um, but if you don't have it, you're going to lose your firstborn son. And so they did it. All of Egypt did not do it because they did not believe in the God of the Bible. <clears throat> Israel did it. The, the spirit of death, the angel of death came over and um, Israel was spared. And so he says, every year now, I want you to celebrate the Passover lamb where you will sacrifice sheep, where you will remember how I spared Israel, where it'll be a time where you will give me glory for the way I had mercy on you and I rescued you from slavery. And so this was the festival that was happening. And so all the people that had come to the festival heard Jesus was coming into town. And this is what he said. <clears throat> so they took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And so in the Old Testament also, there was a lot of writing about who Jesus would be, who the Messiah would be, who this new king would be. The issue that was there was the way people interpreted what this king would look like and what his role would be in their life. And so Jesus in his life, if you, a really interesting study, if you just want to kind of like nerd out over the Bible, which is never a bad thing, is to begin to see and research what prophecies were written about Jesus hundreds and thousands of years before that then Jesus fulfilled. Because there's every single prophecy that was written in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled that in his life. And so this was one of them that he would come riding in on a donkey's colt. If you don't know what that is, that's just a baby donkey. Poor baby donkey. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And so just before this, I'm gonna keep like kind of, I just wanna give you the full insight. Just before this, Jesus had been called, Mary and Martha um, called Jesus and said, hey, Lazarus has died. And Jesus showed up and he told Lazarus, get out of the tomb and, and brought Lazarus back to life. 
And so people were around, people saw that, people knew Lazarus, they saw him dead, they went to his funeral, and then they see Lazarus come back to life walking out of the tomb. And so, so those people continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So they were just interested. They were curious. They were like, man, I want to see this dude raise someone else to, dead, to, to life that is dead. Raise someone else to dead. He's a killer. Um, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So this was the original Palm Sunday. Jesus was riding into town on a baby donkey. Baby donkey sweating the whole way. And people were laying down palm branches. And they were rejoicing, saying, Hosanna, here comes the king of Israel. Here comes the one that's going to save us. Now we see Jesus as knowing who Jesus is or knowing at least what the Bible says about Jesus or maybe for you in here, you just know what the church or people, someone at church like myself has told you about Jesus. And so we understand who Jesus is supposed to be in our life and some of us understand who Jesus is in our life. But for these people, they had their own perceptions of who Jesus was. And we talked a little bit about that this morning. And what Palm Sunday was, was a moment of misunderstanding. See, though these people were doing big gestures about this king that would come in, their understanding of Jesus was was very small. That they were doing big things, but they were thinking very small about who Jesus was. That they were celebrating a king that would come and rule their people and save them from the slavery and, and and the temporary moment they were in. And they did not understand that God had come for a much bigger purpose and like these people it's our competing desires the things in your life that that you are desiring right now the things in your life maybe that's like I just want people to quit picking on me maybe it's I want to look prettier maybe it's I want to be smarter I need to get better grades I need to get to this college I need to get this relationship I need to save this relationship whatever it is it's our competing desires and getting caught up in the moment like these people were that keeps us from seeing God's bigger plan in our life don't you hear that That often it's the desires of your life right now, the temporary desires of your life right now that are preventing you from being able to see that God has a much bigger plan in these moments in your life right now. And that's where these people were at. We're gonna go on, but I'm gonna just pray for us real quick. God, I thank you so much for this time together. I thank you for these students. Lord, I thank you for your word and for the the model of Jesus that we get to see. How he... um, just loved us so well and sacrificed for us. Well, so thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for um, defeating death and giving us forgiveness. Lord, I ask that you would speak through me and Lord, that you um, would give these students uh, concentration and focus and understanding um, beyond even what I'm saying. Lord, that they would just understand your word for what it is. That you would speak through me as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. So my brother, um, what you need to know real quick, some of you may know this, but um, phones, phones have not always been uh, this smart. Um, Phones used to be a lot dumber than this. Um, At at one time, uh, they didn't have maps on them. 
Um, and text messages cost money. I don't know if you knew that, that you would get like every text you sent cost you like 10 cents and every text you received cost you like five cents. Now, ladies, I want you to add that up in your head real quick. You're like, that's $1,000 today. Like, oh my goodness, right? Like it, it's big money. And so you have people like my friends coming to school all the time like, Look, me and my girlfriend were texting late last night. Like, my parents are going to kill me. Like, I just spent $150 on text messages. And so, like, it was like this crazy thing, right? And they also, they didn't have um, all the apps, all that stuff. And, and they didn't have maps on them. Well, me and my brother, we were um, messing around one day, and I broke his phone. And so he had to go get a new phone. And he goes into uh, the phone store, and there was this really pretty girl there that talked him into buying like one of the new fancy expensive phones. And the plus side of the new fancy expensive phone was that it had a map on it. And that was like a big deal. Like, dude, you're never gonna get lost again. Like you've got a map. And before you had to like unroll like the big map with the paper and you had to like, like mark your route and figure out where the heck you were. And so my brother had this phone with a new map on it. And my brother's like, he's the funniest dude I've ever met. He's hilarious, but he also sometimes just doesn't think things completely out. And so he decided, sweet, I'm going to test this map. I'm going to try to drive by just using this map, meaning I'm only going to look at the map. And when it tells me to turn, I'll turn. And when it tells me to go straight, I'll go straight. So... (laughs) This is a great story already, right? So my brother, he's going down this road, and at the end of this road is a five-mile-an-hour turn. And right past five-mile-an-hour turn is my friend Sammy's house. And Sammy lived right here, and my brother's delivering a mattress. Why? I don't know. Delivering a mattress to Sammy. I don't know why you, like, you never borrow your friend's mattress. i just now picking, putting this together. Um, so, so Sammy needed his mattress back. He was tired of sleeping on the floor. So my brother was bringing him his mattress. My brother decided, I'm just going to turn when it tells me to turn. The problem was, that map was jank. Like, it's bad. And it calculated his truck being about 20 yards behind itself from where it actually was. So if you've ever watched The Office where Michael Scott turns into a lake, he's like, the map's telling me to... Okay, anyways, you're going to have to watch it. Um, Hilarious. Uh, So he is driving, and at the last minute he looks up to realize "Uh uh-oh my map isn't super accurate he flies straight past the curve nails a light pole boom the light pole sinks two foot into his truck so he's got a a two foot gap and like obviously it's not running the light falls off the light pole and lands on the mattress (laughs) and doesn't break like amazing right But what happened was my brother failed to abandon his little map to look up and see the big picture. And I think a lot of us in following Jesus get caught up in the little map. We get caught up in the little things that are going on in our life. And we fail to look up and see, one, Jesus for who he is. And two, how he's trying to use us in the moment that we're currently in. Like this plays out in your school. Like some of you got some teachers that are really harsh and really mean. I know this because you you tell me about it, you tell our leaders about it. 
And it's so easy to get caught up in that moment of like, why is this teacher a jerk? I hate this teacher. And then our prayer begins, right? Our prayer begins like, Lord, remove this teacher from the earth. Like, may we never see their face again. And, we, and we, we're, that's us looking at the little map because we never ask, Lord, please show me how I can minister to this teacher, how I can pray for this teacher, how I can love this teacher. Same with our friends, right? Like we get caught up in these, these friends. Like when my sister was in high school, she literally had a new friend like every month. And so she'd come, like a best friend. And so she'd come up, she's like, this is my best friend. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. What happened to the other one? She's like, I hate her. <laughs> Great. Okay. Literally a month later, this is my best friend. What happened to the last one? I hate her. What happened to the other one? I don't know her anymore, right? You're like, what is wrong with you? And so like every month, and I think sometimes we have these friends, we have these relationships, and maybe for some of you guys even, you've got those dudes that just don't stop picking on you. My, for me, ninth grade, which was a long time ago, Nick Hammond. Nick Hammond. Nick Hammond. <laughs> Actually, it was Nick Ham. Nick Hammond was an older kid. Nick Ham. Jerk. He was a jerk. And you know what I never asked myself? Hey, man, why is he being a jerk? Why? Why, why is he feeling the need to treat me like this? What's missing in his life where this is his outcry? That I think as students in your place right now, it's really hard not to get caught up in the bushes, to get caught up in the map right now, the little map, and not to see Jesus saying, hey, I want you to know I'm the God of all situations and I'm calling you into this moment right now for a reason. I never once prayed for Nick Ham. I still, I think if I saw him, I'd punch him right in his face. Like, he was a jerk. I would try not to. Okay, that's not the pastorally thing to say. I'll forgive him? I don't know, right? Like, anybody who's like super mean. And I think for some of us, like, we get caught up in that. Or your relationships, that you just desire to save this relationship. You desire to keep it going. You desire, you desire. And so you're just so caught up in that. And you're not seeing that God is saying, this relationship is no good for you. And it's never going to last. And I need you out of it. Because I want to do great things through you. Sometimes it's in our tragedies. That we can't stop asking the reason, why God? Why God? Why did you let this happen? Why did you let this happen? Instead of asking, okay, God, I don't know why this happened. But God, how do you want to use me in this? How can I be a minister to you? See, these people were so caught up in their problems and in their, in their, their temporary issues that were happening. Now, they're big issues, but they're in the long scheme of things. Like right now, we can say those are temporary because they're not still happening. And they were caught up in them. And so they misinterpreted Jesus and they misinterpreted what Jesus was doing, that they got caught in the little map and they weren't seeing the road in front of them. Instead of seeing God in, in the flesh here on earth by the name of Jesus, they just saw a man that was going to be their king. And so what you see, and this is kind of a cool study, is if you begin to look at actually what these things mean that these people did, it, it like really will blow your mind that Jesus came, and we know now Jesus came not to be the king of Israel, but to be the king of this world, to be the king of our heart, to be the one who is healing us and causing us to be whole and giving us hope and giving us life and giving us identity, that Jesus is much bigger than just one country's king. But yet... These people saw, man, here comes our king. 
Here comes the king of Israel. And so when they were laying palm branches down, you know, you need to understand that that was, they were saying, man, here comes a revolution. Here comes a revolution. Here comes the king that will bring us a victory over all the people around us. We are going to be revolutionaries. We are going to do something epic. And so they're laying down the palm branches, but yet they failed to see even the big signs that Jesus didn't come riding on a war horse. If you're going to war, you ride a big horse, right? If you're going to war, like this is just for any of you, if you ever decide to go to war, don't grab a donkey. Nevertheless, the donkey's baby, right? Like that's, that's ridiculous. You don't ride a baby donkey into war, yet they're laying down revolutionary signs and palm branches. So if you're going to war, like grab a car or a tank or something, not a baby donkey. But yet Jesus came on a baby donkey. What that represented was peace. Only reason you ride a baby donkey into war is because you want, or into anywhere is because you're saying, hey, I come in peace. I'm not coming to fight. I'm not, I come to bring peace. And so then they're yelling, Hosanna, 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 which means save now, save now, save now. And then they begin to yell, King of Israel. Again, they were so caught up in their issues, like some of us are, like I am sometimes, so caught up that I failed to see, that we failed to see why God has us in these moments now and what he's trying to do. That's where these people were at. And what's really interesting is that the same day Jesus rode into this town is the same day that they are supposed to bring in the Passover lamb, that they bring the lamb in front of the people, reminding people of the lamb that was sacrificed for them so many years ago for their family members that, that was killed for them, that the blood was shed on the doorpost so that they would find life. Jesus rides in front of the crowd He says, man, I am the Passover lamb. That I am the one who my blood will be shed for your life. That my blood will be shed over the doorpost of your life so that God will no longer see your sins and no longer see your screw-ups and no longer see your imperfections. But that you find forgiveness. He says the blood will be shed over the doorpost of your life that you will now be called sons and daughters, children of the king. He rode in on the same time that the Passover lamb should be be riding in, yet people were so caught up in the things that they desired that they failed to see God's greater plan. And my fear is that we get that way sometimes. That high school becomes so overwhelming that we get in a place in our life where we are failing to see how God wants to use you in the places you're at. And instead we're saying, God, just save me from this moment. Just save me from this moment. Just save me from this moment. When your focus is on your desires, it's really hard to see God's plans. But Jesus makes his plan so clear to us, and I love it. It's in John 12, 27 through 28. I read it this morning, and and I don't know if you really heard it this morning, and I hope you really hear it right now, because it's a very powerful verse. It really shows the heart of Jesus and shows the heart he desires for us to have. He says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? He says, my soul is troubled. I'm kind of caught up in the weeds. Like, I see the map in front of me. I see the trouble in front of me. And he says, and what shall I say? God, save me from this right now. He says, no. 
says, no, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. He says, instead, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven and says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. From a human perspective, we see that Jesus abandoned his personal humanistic agenda. It says, man, God, Jesus came to earth being fully man and fully God. And the fully man side of him was saying, man, my soul is troubled in this moment. And the fully God part of him was saying, yeah, but what will I say to this moment? He says, I know it's going to hurt. That I know there's going to be some embarrassment. That I know it's going to take some sacrifice. But my heart is that you glorify your name. He says, my heart is that I, I trust God that you use me. I love it that he became the Passover lamb. So check this out. That now you can find life in Christ. Then what? Then because you are now seen as righteous before God, there is no sin separating you from having a relationship with the creator of this universe. And so what? With your life, you can glorify his name. So Jesus said, my soul is troubled, but what do I want to do? He says, no, I want your name to be glorified. And he says, I've glorified it through you and I will continue to glorify it again through you, through your work and people. And so now our lives are built in a way that we can know the creator of the universe and glorify him with our lives. How amazing is that? Because Jesus didn't get caught up in the weeds and in the map. He said, no, me being God and being the son of God, my desire is for God, the father to be glorified so that you now here in this place, in this room, 2,000 years later, may glorify his name with your life. That's the mindset of Jesus. I really meant to bring a sign in here and I, I, I just totally forgot it in my office. Ryan, sit down <laughs> or move. Yeah, okay, go, bye. There's a sign. <laughs> There's a sign in my office and I really meant to bring it in here. It's just like right over there. Um, but what it says on it, I found it driving down the road in Houston. As I stopped at a light and I see the sign on the ground, I was like, the legit, I'm kind of weird, but I was like, sweet homeless man sign. I want to read what it says. I put my truck in park at a red light on the side of the highway, jumped out, grabbed the sign, jumped back in, put it in drive, and then I realized, yuck. I just grabbed a homeless man sign on the side of the road. Where has this thing been? But what the sign said began to blow my mind. It said, hi, my name is Mike. I have cancer and I have about two to three months to live. But I want to thank all of you who have helped me. And it said something like, may I see you up yonder and may Jesus be in you and in your families, Mike. That it was the first homeless man sign that I ever saw that didn't say, please help me, please save me. It was a sign that said, I'm so thankful for people who have loved me like Jesus loved me. He said, man, I have two to three months to live on the sign. And I found this sign probably three years ago. That Mike very well right now is walking with Jesus cancer free. 
Because someone stopped in, in the midst of traffic, in the midst of their own agenda, in the midst of their own desires, said, God, why do you have me here in this moment? Began to look up and look around and said, oh, here's this guy. Let me love him like you loved me. And a soul was saved. That I believe that that is a big part of what Easter is. Is that Jesus came to die on the cross and then defeated death so that we may have life. But not just so that we may have life and then get caught up in the everyday mundane things. So we may have life. That we may know him. And that we may glorify him with our life. It means having the mindset of Jesus. I'm going to close with this verse. This is Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross, who being in the very nature of God, humbled himself to say, I will die for you. Every sin and everything you've committed. Not so that you may feel guilt about it, but so you may be freed of your guilt. So that you may find life. So that you may begin to glorify me with your life. That who is the mic in your life? Who is the one that you've been getting so caught up in the things going on that you have failed to look around and say, Jesus, why, why do you have me in this moment? Why is this bus driver a terrible person? Why are these people so rude? God, why? What can I do to love them well? That I think that is really what it means to go all in for Jesus. We've been talking about this. We got these shirts, whatever. I think that's what it means. See that Jesus went all in for us and us saying that I'm going all in for you. That I trust that you have my life and you have it eternally. That regardless of what happens here is gain for me. Because I get to spend eternity in your presence. That I get to spend eternity free from pain, free from fear. That I get to know you and love you. That I get to speak with the creator of the universe regularly. And he calls me son and he calls me daughter and he calls me forgiven. Forgiven. 